welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Today is January 16th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 16. As a reminder, every day I read a chapter of the Bible, and then I offer an explanation of key ideas and themes and the theology briefly. And the goal is of this show is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. Sometimes, you know, we push the 20-minute limit, and it goes about 30 minutes. So uh, let's get into our reading today, uh, Genesis 16. Hear what the Word of the Lord has to say to us. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, the husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant. And she shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all kinsmen. Kinsmen. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly I have seen him who looks after me. And therefore the well was called Bir La Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Berean. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the, the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now what we see in this chapter is the birth of Ishmael. That's what we just read about. And what we discover is, is that impatient for an heir, Sarai seeks to resolve the problem of her barrenness by having her maidservant, Hagar, bear a child on her behalf, a custom mentioned in other ancient Near Eastern texts. Now, subsequent tensions between Sarai and Hagar, it caused the latter to run away. 
And by sending an angel messenger, the Lord persuades Hagar to return, probably leading Abram to think that the child soon to be born Ishmael, the soon to be born child Ishmael, might indeed be the promised son of Genesis 17:18. And theologically, the emphasis here uh, in this chapter is on the hearing and seeing nature of God and His mercy that we'll consider here shortly on this episode. In verse 2, we see that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And the Hebrew idiom, it implies that Abram obeyed Sarai. Abram is possibly criticized here for conceding too much to his wife's request. Now, in verse 3, as a wife, Hagar's status within Abram's household is changed from servant to wife, although this does not place her on par with Sarai. And while the Old Testament records occasions when particular individuals have more than one wife, such instances are almost always fraught with complications and even difficulties. In fact, the taking of multiple wives is never encouraged in the Bible, and it usually arises out of peculiar circumstances. There's going to be plenty of opportunity for me to expand on that particular point as we continue on through our reading of God's Word daily. Just so you know, I just want to be clear about that. We're going to come back to that matter uh, later. But verse 4, Hagar's ability uh, to, uh, it causes her, I mean, to look down on Sarah. In verses 5 through 7 of this chapter, Sarah initially directs her anger at Abram, who acquiesces to the situation permitting Sarah to deal harshly with Hagar. Now, the human solution to Sarah's barrenness creates new problem. Verse 7, we see the angel of the Lord. And the Hebrew word for angel may also be translated messenger. There is an element of mystery about this figure. In, in uh, 19.1 of Genesis, we see the two angels arrive at Sodom, uh, resembling human beings. In Genesis 18.2, they are called men. Now, when the angel of the Lord speaks, his words are perceived as being God's word. And so the impression is given that we could have as reading that, that the angel is identical to the Lord. And on this basis, some Christians believe that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. Others hold that the reference is to the angel who has been commissioned to speak as the representative of God. And so the angel's words are God's word. Now, the spring on the way to Shur, Hagar's flight takes her in the direction of Egypt, her homeland. And the location of the spring and the well is clarified in verse 14 of this chapter, when it's named Bir Lahai Roy, meaning... It lies between Kadesh and Bariad. Verse 9, submit to her. Hagar is commanded by God to transform her attitude towards her mistress, Sarah. Instead of despising her, she is to submit to her authority. Verse 10, by way of encouragement, the angel of the Lord promises Hagar that, that she will have numerous descendants in Genesis 17:2 and Genesis 25, 12 through 18. Ishmael means God hears. Hagar Hagar's harsh treatment by Sarai has not gone unobserved by God. Verse 12, the angel promises Hagar that her son will become a strong, independent person. And unlike his mother, he will not need to be servile towards others, but he will live a life of hostility towards others. Verse 13, Hagar is impressed by the perceptiveness of God as revealed by his angel messengers. This is a name she gives to the Lord. She calls him God of seeing or El Roy. And here I have seen him who looks after me. This means that although this could imply that Hagar actually saw God himself, her remarks could also be interpreted as denoting an inner perception. She perceives that God sees or looks at her. 
Bir la Roy. It means well of living one who sees me. And by naming Ishmael in 1615, Abraham publicly acknowledges him as his son and as his heir. Uh, 86 years old, Ishmael is born 11 years after Abraham settled in the land of Canaan. So now let's talk a little bit about the theology behind this. And there's a lot to say. And uh, some of you are going to wonder why um, I didn't cover everything. But here, here is some of what we can learn from this chapter. And fleeing from Sarai, Hagar comes to a spring on the way to Shur in verse 7. This is the name of the desert bordering Egypt in the northern corner of the Sinai Peninsula. Hagar was plainly seeking to return to her homeland, as we see in verse 1 of this chapter, stopping at the spring for refreshment. The sons of Jacob, newly freed from Egyptian slavery, knew Sinai was a special place, as it was a locale where the Lord revealed the law uh, to Moses, and thus a special revelation of God in the place during the time of Abraham would not have surprised them. And as we talked about just a minute ago, and from verse 7 of this chapter, it tells us the angel of the Lord found Hagar at the spring. This angel is no mere messenger of God, even though the royal messengers in those days were treated with the same respect as a sender. When the angel of the Lord appears elsewhere in Scripture, people fall down and worship, like in Judges 6, 22-24. And after seeing the angel, Hagar addresses him as God in verse 13 of this chapter. Now, this angel appeared mainly during the period recounted in Genesis and Judges, and while the New Testament does not explicitly identify the angel with the Son of God, many in church history have identified this messenger as the pre-incarnate Christ. That's personally my own view of this. Now, the angel of the Lord asks Hagar from when she came and where she's going. Not because this data is unknown to God, for he does not know who he is. Verse 8 tells us this. And instead, this questioning recalls God's earlier interrogation of Adam and Cain in Genesis 3-9 and Genesis 4-9, further demonstrating his displeasure with uh, all involved in Hagar's flight. Yahweh's word to Hagar alludes to hardship and blessing. He tells, the Lord tells her to submit again to Sarah. The Hebrew phrasing it indicates mistreatment is still possible. And, and though Scripture gives the right of self-defense in Exodus 22, 2-3, it never suggests that the church will be free from trouble. In fact, Peter tells us to bear with just and unjust masters alike in 1 Peter 2, 18-20. And so even if Sarai's harshness were to continue, and we do not know that it, that it did, Hagar was called to submit. Finally, the Lord pledges to bless Hagar with a multitude of sons in Genesis 16:10. John Calvin comments, we are here taught in this chapter with what clemency the Lord acts towards his own people, although they have deserved such severe punishment, Calvin says. After all, we can say Hagar was proud and she suffered the consequences, and yet God did not forget her. Likewise, we too may suffer the results of our sin, but that does not mean that the Lord has abandoned us. And whether or not we are being disciplined by God today, we are to turn to him in repentance and faith in Christ alone, for he alone is a comfort for his people. Now, despite her sinful pride, Yahweh does not abandon Hagar. She fled to Egypt, but instead sent her the angel of the Lord, instead sent her the angel of the Lord. And, and although we might have expected the Lord to chasten her, God does not do so. Instead, he tells her to return to Sarah and at the same time promises to bless her with many offspring. This promise receives further elaboration in our chapter today. 
The child growing in Hagar's womb will be the first of many descendants and is to be named Ishmael, which means God hears in verse 11 of Genesis 16. And for the rest of her life, Hagar will be able to look upon her son and remember how the Lord visited her in a time of need. And yet this blessing is a mixed one, particularly where the covenant community is concerned. This Ishmael and his offspring will be a wild donkey, an animal who dwells in the desert, as we see in verse 12 of this passage. Now, the wild donkey metaphor is telling because it's used elsewhere in Scripture to embrace those who uh, stubborn ha- have a stubborn autonomy and defy the covenant of God in Jeremiah 2, uh, 23 and 24 and Hosea 8, 8 through 9. Now, this verse makes us aware that Ishmael will, will not be the son of the promise, but will antagonize those who serve the one true God. He will be wild, continually at odds with those around him, especially his kinsmen, the sons of Isaac, against whom he will dwell physically and militarily in Genesis 16:12. And and the sign to Hagar that Yahweh cares for his people will also remind her, as well as Abraham and Sarah, of the consequences that come when man attempts to bring about the Lord's will in ways not sanctioned by him. And, it, and it's no surprise to find an Ishmaelite later serving Absalom, the son and the enemy of God's chosen king in 2 Samuel 17.25. And in like manner, we find that Islam, perhaps the greatest religious enemy of the church in our day, holds Ishmael in high esteem. The children of Abraham continue to be at odds with the sons of Ishmael. Hagar's son is also traditionally held to be the father of the Arabs, and yet As we talk about this, we also need to say that it does not follow that the Lord's word about Ishmael deprives all Arabs of hope. There are perhaps many of God's elect who live in Arab nations, and so we must continually endeavor, I mean, to extend the gospel to them. Terrorism and even Islamic jihad can make it hard for Western Christians to look upon the children of Ishmael with love. And yet, as the Lord will redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group, as we see in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it is incumbent upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to pray and even reach out to the Arab world. Now, take time today to pray for a predominantly Muslim country, that the gospel will prevail in its land, that, that the church there will make disciples who make disciples, and consider giving time and even money uh, for missions to that nation. And now it's clear that Hagar, even in her pride, is the most faithful person in the entire episode involving her, Abram, and Sarah. She willingly obeys when Sarah gives her to Abram to be his wife, and this is commendable, as she is likely unaware that they were not acting in faith, as we see in Genesis 16.3. Her devotion is most evident as we take a look at this passage even more, where she acknowledged that she has seen our Creator. And she gives the, a name to the Lord, the God of seeing, for she has witnessed firsthand that the Lord sees her plight and graciously cares for her, as we see in Genesis sixteen thirteen. Now, this name, the God of seeing, it highlights God's concern for Hagar because he saw her distress in the wilderness and met her at the well in order to bless her. 
this Egyptian servant, at least at this point in the narrative, followed the one true God more carefully than did the covenant parents. Now, Yahweh's concern for this servant girl, it provides us with an opportunity to briefly say this, that his special concern is for the poor and the oppressed. Throughout Scripture, we find empathy for those in need. In Leviticus 23.22, it commands the nation of Israel to leave some plants on the edge of their fields after the harvest so that the needy and the sojourners may have access to food. Hired hands are to be paid immediately for to hold back their wages is a form of oppression, as we see in Deuteronomy 24:14-15. Jesus tells the wealthy to invite beggars to the banquet in Luke 14:12-14. That is to say, true piety involves providing for one's widows and orphans, as we see in James 1:27. It is not as if the Lord loves the poor more than the rich, or that one group is inherently more righteous than the other. And as Christ's love for sinners reveals a concern for men who cannot provide righteousness for themselves, we as God's people must imitate the Lord and share what we have with those who cannot feed themselves. Maybe join the example of those like the righteous Boaz, who provided abundantly for downtrodden Ruth and Naomi, as we see in Ruth 2-4. through Let us help the church become the first place the poor and the oppressed come for help. Now, in his great love, God provided for his people what they could not provide for themselves, perfect righteousness in Christ alone. And while we cannot give this great gift, we can spread his love by working to meet the needs of those spiritually and physically downtrodden. And so consider how you are allocating your resources and give to your local church first and to a ministry that helps the prisoner and the poor. Invite someone over for dinner who may be lonely and who needs fellowship. Now, is anything harder than waiting on the Lord in our lives? How many times have we prayed the same things repeatedly, only to learn that God's answer appears to be no or even not yet? And in the midst of waiting, we are often tempted to become impatient and frustrated with God, and perhaps even worse, we're tempted to play God. Now, such temptations were able to penetrate the hearts of Abraham and Sarah. Decades have passed since uh, the Lord had made the promise of children. And between the making of that promise and its fulfillment, many moments of weakness and even failure occurred in their hearts. Twice Abraham prevailed over Sarah to to lie about her being his wife so that his life may be preserved. Now each time Sarah is taken into another man's uh, household, like a lamb, Sarah is sacrificed on the altar of Abraham's fear. But the grace of God prevails over our sin and over our weakness. And God providentially preserves her purity and her life. God himself proves to be her true husband who would never abandon her or forsake her. Now, Sarah is not without her own moments of weakness during these decades. Not only did Sarah, not only did she agree to lie for Abraham, but even worse, in her own dark hour of desperation, when waiting on God seemed to be too hard, she gave her maidservant Hagar to Abram. Now, in desperation, she says in verse 2 of Genesis 16, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And so not only does she uh, compromise her marriage, but she also stood in the place of God, blaming God for the predicament that she had already had to remedy. 
Now, it is against these face-stretching backdrops that God brought about his own promise. God's timetable is not always the same as our timetable, just as it was not the same as Abraham and Sarah's. But the Lord's plan was not simply to give them a child, but to do so in such a miraculous way that he would be glorified and their faith would be stretched. This is a hard but a vital lesson. God often shapes the details of our lives into stories that cause our faith to be stretched. He teaches us to wait on Him even when we would prefer to do otherwise. He teaches us to rest in the Lord even when we prefer to play the Lord. Now, Abraham and Sarah foreshadowed their descendants who had to wait until the fullness of time, as Galatians 4.4 says, when God would bring about the son who is so much greater than Isaac. It is this son who would truly laugh in the face of death by triumphing over it in the resurrection, God's climatic miracle. And let us both learn from the stories of Scripture and from the providentially arranged stories of our lives, not to doubt or usurp God, but to trust the Lord and to wait on Him in faith. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and may God bless you and keep you. Until tomorrow, take care and have a wonderful day in the Lord. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.